middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that's all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. And we are back for another episode. It's been a couple of weeks since we have done an episode of Keeper of the Games, wanted to get through the crazy political season of last week. Uh, And now we're back with a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games. And more importantly, back making his triumphant return to the podcast is the new dad and the birthday boy weston mills back with us today weston how are things going man boy uh going great uh it's hard to even put into words you know turn 31 birth of my daughter a lot of sleepless nights a lot of you know incredible joy and happy moments and and i will say just forewarning will be uh my takes will be fired straight from the hip today because outside of uh, Chiefs games, it's been hard to, to keep up with, with everything going on in the in the sports world and, and everything else. But man, it's been good, and and I hate to to say the cliche that every parent does, but boy, enjoy it for those of you who don't have kids. Enjoy the sleep while you can because it really has been true. It, it it definitely changes really your whole life, obviously, but definitely the sleepless nights too. So on average, about how much sleep are you getting a night? Well, and I was actually telling you a little bit before before air, you know, my wife actually has a little bit more of the duties. So I should pump the brakes and, and, and you know, not try to get too many sympathy points because she definitely, you know, does more of the feedings. But, you know, it, it's really it's more about the blocks, right? Because my uh, Parker is uh, almost a month old and yeah. she, she feeds about between uh, – could be in one hour spurts, could be in two hour spurts. Sometimes we can stretch it out to three. So you're up, you know, throughout the night taking care of that and changing diapers and, and all that fun stuff. So uh, it's just kind of getting sleep when you can. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, you don't look that sleep deprived right now, <laughs> which is good. I mean, you, you're probably hiding it pretty well, but uh, a lot of we're caffeine. glad. Yeah, we're, we're glad that you uh, have taken a little bit of time to be back on the podcast. I know that uh, you've got some more important things going on right now, but uh, we were able to hold down the fort while you were gone. Uh, Blake Cripps joined us on a few different episodes, and we were you know, able to, to do a lot of different things on the podcast. So uh, glad to have you back. And on top of that, uh, we'll go ahead and, and mention it here at the very top. When we're recording this podcast, obviously it will drop on Thursday, but as we're recording this, it is Veterans Day today. So happy Veterans Day. Uh, to to all the the military members out there, thank you for your service. Thank you uh, for everything you do for us and our country. So I uh, wanted to um, to make sure that we mentioned that here at the start of the program. The other thing, Weston, that I want to point out before we get into this is that we debuted something brand new on the podcast while you were gone, and that's Uh-oh. the hot t- that's the hot take horn. Which you know, I I, I think we might have maybe had that last episode that you were around, yep. but mm-hmm. didn't really use it a whole lot. But now it'll be the first time that I'm totally in control of hitting the hot take horn on all of your hot takes fantastic well i already told you they're gonna be straight from the hip today so you better get that hot take horn button ready that's right i got it (laughs) i got it it's it's ready to rock and roll want to remind you to hit subscribe that way anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast you'll get a notification of course you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms like itunes uh google Podcasts, spotify iHeartRadio, TuneIn radio stitcher pocket cast all the major ones out there you can of course go to our brand new website 
cogsports.com. That's kogsports.com, where you can listen to archived episodes. Uh, you can also watch videos and a whole lot more there. And of course, you can watch our new episodes on YouTube and on Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at kogpod. So Weston, all the way back to your very last episode yep. on the podcast, that was when we broke the news. I guess we didn't really break the news, but we reported on the news about the investigation involving Greg Marshall at Wichita State University. We discussed it on that episode. Just a day later, uh, I was able to have Jeff Goodman from uh, Stadium on the podcast for a special bonus episode where he talked all about his investigation and the article and the aftermath of all of that. But since that time, there really has been not a whole lot going on with that story until the last 24 hours or so. Uh, Jeff Goodman and Watch Stadium, they have reported that Wichita State University and Greg Marshall are expected to part ways by the end of this week. There's really no indication whether that will be a resignation uh, or a term nation on this part of Wichita State to Greg Marshall. I'm sure that those details are still being hammered out. But according to sources uh, within the program uh, to Jeff Goodman, it looks like the tenure of Greg Marshall at Wichita State University will be coming to an end shortly, uh, which would put a bow on this about month long investigation, or at least from the time that the original article was written until now. Uh, Weston, I know that you're shooting from the hip all day today, but uh, you know this is not a new story. We've been you know talking yeah. about this discussing this for a long time. Do you have any new thoughts uh, based on what we know today? Well, you know, I, I think it's it's worth noting too that, so Taylor Eldridge of, of the Wichita Eagle, he, he tweeted, and this was about 20 hours ago, he said after talking to his sources in and around the program that he, he, could, he can't confirm Stadium's report that Wichita State's expected to part ways with Greg Marshall, but he said the consensus of the people he talked to said the, re- the report may ultimately prove to be true, just that as of the time he was talking to them, they couldn't confirm it. So there is still some wiggle room out, you know, out there to, to see how this plays out. But, you know, ultimately, I, here's the thing. We, there's, there's kind of two separate things to this, right? We talked way back when the investi- when the investigation was breaking and those details were coming out. And I think all three of us were very adamant. We had our own personal thoughts, but, but I think all three of us were adamant that, look, these processes do need to, to play out from a standpoint of what happened and what kind of repercussions there are. But there is that side of it. And there's also a business side of it from Wichita State's perspective. And look, we understand, but you have now put this bad mark on the program, even if, you know, it doesn't kind of, it does matter what what the investigation details, but it doesn't have to be 100% accurate. If, If only part of that is true, you have now, put a, you know, a stain on Wichita State basketball program's reputation. And and for that reason, we're going to have to let you go and go in another direction. And the other thing that kind of has caught my attention is if they're willing to do this now, uh, and I'm probably going to miss on the mark, but what, two weeks, three weeks before the season starts, tells me that they're seeing some things that is ultimately concerning because it is going to be much more problematic if this were to happen three games into the season, as opposed to now where they can attempt to, you know, put it under the rug, put a new coach in place, whether it's someone outside the program or within and try to move forward and move past this story. So uh, to me, the timing of this says they're seeing some stuff that is very concerning. 
Yeah, it's interesting to me that, you know, th- these reports are are surfacing now, but yet we have no indication about whether or not the investigation is is complete. Uh, I, I know that they hired an outside law firm out of St. Louis to handle the investigation. I know that they were interviewing former players. They were also interviewing anybody that uh, w- was willing to talk that may have had knowledge of the situation. Um, but to, to, as of now, there's no public knowledge of what that investigation has found. I do agree with you that if these conversations are going on right now within the program about the university and Greg Marshall parting ways, clearly they have maybe not the full uh, account from the investigation, but at least a partial account about what went on uh, that was, you know, that the the law firm was potentially able to confirm, you know, actually happened. Uh, And so I think that's probably where we stand right now. The, if if that ends up happening, if that ends up coming out, if that ends up you know being confirmed, this is one thousand percent the right decision to make. Uh, and I know that you know that uh, you know Blake and I went back and forth on this a couple of different times. I know that you know we discussed it on your very last episode. Uh, you know I, I'm not trying to be an anti Greg Marshall advocate. I'm not trying to blow the horn here and be loud at the top of the mountaintop about you know fire him, get him out of here. But uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. I said that like four weeks ago. Uh, And so without knowing what that law firm was able to confirm or not confirm, uh, it's there were so many allegations. It's hard. It was hard for me to wrap my head around a scenario where all of that was false and you don't need all of it to be true. You only need a portion of it to be true, like you just mentioned. So this is for sure, if this ends up coming to fruition, the right decision to make. And I'll be interested to see what that final report from that law firm has to say. Yeah. And that's another thing to note too, because you know I would certainly expect if they're paying a, a, a law firm out of St. Louis to conduct this investigation, I'm sure they were paying for it to happen, you know, ASAP. Yeah. So I yeah. would be... First of all, I would be fairly shocked if Wichita State does not already have that report in full. But also, the way these things work is it's not like Wichita State is in the blind while this law firm is conducting their interviews. I am certain that whoever's, you know, whether it's the AD or whoever is overseeing it, they're probably getting an update, some sort of brief summary after every single interview that's happening. So they're catching those high points and probably already formulating, you know, some sort of thought process opinion of what direction they're going to need to go into as each one of those interviews are being done. So that that's another reason that lends me to believe that, you know, they must not be liking what they're seeing um, or hearing so far, but you know, and you're right. I, I think we both were on the train of, I don't know, maybe not being as pro Greg Marshall as some folks in Wichita may otherwise be, but and this might be the perfect segue into where you kind of wanted to take this conversation anyways, Tommy, but the reports that have since now come out about what would happen if Greg Marshall leaves and who may be in line to get that job, I think reigns true of exactly what I was trying to re- reiterate to Wichita State fans on that last podcast we did is that Wichita State basketball, are they better for having Greg Marshall? Did he improve the program? Yes. But this program has a longstanding history and is in a place where they don't need Greg Marshall to continue to be that successful program. And it shows by, and I can't, I'm going to, I draw on a blank on the name of the guy who broke the story or, or had a source saying that potentially Thad Mata of Ohio state could be in line it was Seth Davis That's, had that report. Uh, yeah. And Seth Davis, who we would all 
I think we would all agree a pretty credible uh, source within or insider within college basketball saying that Thad Mata could be the guy to take over at Wichita State. That's an incredible hire for Wichita State. And I think goes to show, hey, Shockers fans, yes, Greg Marshall did great. You're going to be just fine and maybe even better, you know, just from a basketball standpoint. I mean, you're definitely going to be in better from a if that man was doing bad things perspective, but definitely going to be better off from a basketball perspective, possibly if they hired Thad Mata. That's a fantastic get if that is true. Yeah, w- without a doubt. And and I totally agree with you that you, the, that program is in a completely different position now than it was back in 2007. I think it was when Mark Turgeon left Wichita State and Greg Marshall came in. You know, they had to go for a guy that was the head coach at Winthrop University. No offense to Winthrop uh, and no offense to Greg Marshall. That was his job at the time. Uh, but but those were the, the, the tier of candidates that you were looking at coming in to be the head coach at Wichita State. An up-and-comer that... You know, was that a small mid-major, maybe going to a little bit of a bigger mid-major? Wichita State's off that radar now. That's largely due in part to Greg Marshall. And and credit where credit is due. You know, I you would be an idiot to say that Greg Marshall did not have an overall positive impact uh, on that program uh, and the university and the city. I mean, it, I said that four weeks ago. That's just the way that it is. Um, so now the Shockers are going to be able, you would think, uh, to at least be able to target more top tier coaches. It does sound like there is some contradiction between Seth Davis and a couple of other sources that, you know, we're talking about Thad Mata, that those other sources said that Thad Mata was not interested in the job. Uh, but who knows? I mean, it's still very early. We don't even have a situation yet where Greg Marshall is gone from the university. And who knows that that report could ultimately not be true. Uh, although Jeff Goodman did report it and then CBS Sports, uh, they seconded that report as well. They also talked to their sources who were able to confirm it. But no, Nobody locally, and I think that does, you know, say something. Taylor Eldridge is as close to the program as you can get, and he was unable to confirm it. So it's still in the early stages. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a simple cut and dry situation, though. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there'll be a resignation from Greg Marshall. Uh, you know, that would certainly be the easiest thing to do. Uh, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Greg Marshall just signed a contract extension. The Shockers could fire him with cause. Uh, and, and then we're getting into the whole legal world that I don't really know a lot about it. But then you're looking at potentially you know, a, 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 a long process that the university and Greg Marshall have to go through. Uh, and you know, I think there could also be the argument, I don't know if this is the case or not, but if I'm Greg Marshall and if I'm his team of attorneys – you know, I'm going to argue that, hey, you're firing me for cause, but you just signed me to a contract extension. Did you know what was going on? And if you did, you must have been okay with this behavior because you signed me to a contract extension until the public pressure came down. So again, I don't know if that's the situation, but I, it's hard for me to think that this is going to be a simple uh, process. I think it's going to be long, drawn out. Uh, and unfortunately, I think it's going to burn a lot of bridges. Yeah. And I and I wonder too, I would to me, I would imagine it plays out if there's any type of, I don't know, uh, smooth transition would be in a form of, you know, it's going to be a termination, but it's going to be a buyout as well. I mean, you're going to settle out yeah. that contract basically saying, look, we believe we're fired. We're terminating you for cause, but look, we also understand that you're objecting to this. Let's, let's agree to disagree in part ways with a certain number of, uh, you know, a certain dollar figure on that. And what I wonder is if that amount of money ends up having some sort of impact on who they can hire 
following suit, you know, because if you're talking about Thad Mata or another name that I've not heard this anywhere else, I'm just curious if, if this name would play would be John Beeline. Uh, yeah. You know, he's out, he's out of work after that failed attempt with the Cavaliers. And I think Wichita state might be a great spot for an older coach who has done, has proven his time, you know, his worth in, he's got two championships to his name at this point. He probably just being in basketball is what he wants. Anyways, that's just another name that I thought, but, but this settlement, I wonder what kind of money will be left to be able to make a hire like that. And then ultimately, kind of where I think make what I think makes the most sense and where this potentially should go is assistant coach Isaac Brown. Um, you know, if you've you've loved the success that you've seen out of Greg Marshall, but obviously there is now this conflict with Greg Marshall, the man. Well, the program itself, you know, there was no issues with that. And I, matter of fact, I saw a tweet from Shaq Morris actually suggesting that hey, you want to see this program, you know, flourish after all this stuff blows over promote Isaac Brown. The guys love him there. Um, so I'm curious to see if, and, and I think that with that being said, I think that could be a cost effective way to handle this. You know, you, you hire him, you know, you could do it on an interim basis. Then you have no hiccups with this two week, uh, you know, before the season starts program, you could do it on an interim basis, or you could say, you know, look, we're going to sign you to, a two-year contract, a three-year contract. And that gives you that opportunity that, look, if these guys just, if we just pick up, you know, if he picks up where Greg Marshall left off, great. No, no problems. We're set. We'll extend him in three years and, and we'll be golden. And if it doesn't, if it was, if Greg Marshall was the golden ticket there, okay, we're on a short, we're short-term deal and and we'll go, we'll go see who's available at that time. Maybe Thad Mata doesn't have a job then or, or whatever, but that's kind of how I, what I think makes the most sense for the program. There is certainly no shortage of potential replacements for Greg Marshall at Wichita State, and there never is with any any kind of program like this. You always have people that you think about that come to mind. Obviously, we talked about Thad Mata. You mentioned John Beeline, uh, which you know again that could be a really good landing spot, assuming that the financials are there. And 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 to your point, who knows? You know, I think we all have an idea of where uh, college athletic finances are this year due to, to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there could be challenges there, and it's probably going to be something that, you know, the university is going to have to go to donors. I don't know how willing they will be considering their loyalty to Greg Marshall. I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, but but that could be a, a possibility. John Beeline, uh, I know that you mentioned Isaac, uh, Isaac Brown. That wouldn't be a, a bad choice either. But there are a couple of other names to keep an eye on. If you want some, uh, you know, a coach, you know, that that knows the Greg Marshall system, it's hard to not look at Chris Jans and, you know, obviously, you know, Chris Jans has spent a couple of different times at Wichita state under Greg Marshall. Uh, you know, he's at, I believe he's at New Mexico now, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and so there could be a possibility there. Um, but then, you know, if, if the shockers want to completely move away from the Greg Marshall coaching tree and completely wash their hands of that situation, there was a report earlier today that Danny Manning I could potentially that. be a candidate for, for that job. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of diehard Shocker fans who hate the University of Kansas will probably bristle at that idea, mm-hmm. but they probably, you know, didn't mind the fact that Mark Turgeon was their coach right before Greg Marshall. And of course, Mark Turgeon played at the University of Kansas as well. That's a name. And then I think the one uh, person who's probably the most vocal on social media about wanting the job is Adrian Griffin, uh, who is, you know, currently an assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. You know, he's with Fred Van Vliet all the time. He's, you know, obviously 
pretty beloved in Wichita. Uh, and, you know, I know that he wants to be an NBA head coach ultimately, uh, but he was, he gave an interview today with Cake News saying that the most, the, maybe he could end up going through the college ranks to ultimately get his dream job of being an NBA head coach. So there are a lot of options out there on the table for Wichita State. Well, and I tell you too, strategically from a recruiting standpoint, I feel like that's kind of the hot thing right now, right? Is is to have that coach in place that you know has some sort of NBA pedigree to to pitch to to, to those recruits, those high school kids. Look, come play at our program. I will get you ready for the league. And yeah. then you, and you know, and we obviously you know you think Memphis comes to mind i mean obviously john calipari even though he you know with his but that is kind of the hot method to go with so that certainly would not be a bad idea and i think one that would it would change the culture i think it would state that you know the way the, the basketball program has been ran but at the same time like you said you know someone so close to to shocker basketball it's not not changing the identity. It's really just maybe the style is was the better word for, for that so it would be interesting i think that'd be a very interesting hire the final thing that I want to talk about before we move on to a different topic, uh, and I alluded to this a couple of minutes ago, you know, I agree with you 100% that Shocker basketball is going to be just fine without Greg Marshall. Um, you know, it, 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 it might take a little bit, um, you know, but I think I think Marshall got that program to a, a great point. Uh, and, and I think it's time for somebody else to come in and uh, continue on, you know, that that great Shocker basketball tradition. I think it certainly can be done, but there has to be a change in the overall culture surrounding Shocker basketball at the same time. Uh, and I don't want to end this topic on uh, on a down note, um, you know, but every time that we've discussed this, whether it was you and I and Blake or just Blake and I, uh, you know, I was, I've been pretty vocal about my criticisms of a lot of things in that program. And, and, you know, very critical of Greg Marshall, very critical of the university. Uh, I, I like Wichita state. I like cheering for Wichita state. And the one thing that I, that I, I'm just going to flat out say disgusted me the most about this. And I don't know if you even had a chance to, to know this was going on, but uh, last, I believe it was last week, there was a full page ad in the Wichita Eagle uh, that was, all of these shocker supporters, major donors, major boosters that bought this full page ad showing their support for Greg Marshall. And there were dozens of names on this list of people. And it was hard for me to not look at that list. And I recognized a good amount of those names on the list. And you're looking at old white people who have a lot of money that all put that in and they, they, they pooled their money. They bought that ad and they put their names on there to, to show that they stood with Greg Marshall. I have no problem with them supporting Greg Marshall, but at the same time, I thought it was an incredibly tone deaf response considering that we're not dealing with just a coach that was losing and they're trying to save his job. We're talking about a coach with numerous and repeated allegations of physical mental and emotional abuse of players and coaches. And to me, it just was incredibly tasteless that they did that. So my point in, in saying that, and you don't have to respond to that if you don't want to, uh, but but my point in saying that is that with a new coach, you have to bring in a new culture. And, I, and that starts with the fans as well. You have to be willing to embrace the new brand of Shocker basketball, which hopefully... I, sh- I hope they win games. I hope they're incredibly successful, but it's ultimately got to be, I guess, a kinder brand of basketball than what Greg Marshall employed and what he passed down on these major donors. Yeah. And I guess I- I've got two, two thoughts to that first being, so going back to, you know, like you said, the, just the tone deafness to, to come out and kind of just support him with the, with the allegations, the way they are, this is it, to me, it would be different if we had reached a moment in this investigation where 
the university came out and said, look, we've done our investigation. We didn't find anything. There may be a ton of folks who still say, you know, bullshit. I, I don't believe you, whatever. And yeah. that's fine. But at that point, then I can completely understand, you know, saying, hey, look, we want to support our coach. The, the, the university did, did the investigation and we believe the university. And so we're but at a moment where you don't even have that yet seems like a very odd time. And like you said, you know, tasteless, tone deaf time to come out and support him. But and then on the other side, you know, talking about a change in culture, uh, and, and I don't want to speak for you, but I think you, there's two different things here, right? You're ta- you, you, we're talking about there can be a difference in a change in culture in the way from a basketball standpoint and then from a program standpoint. So yeah. what I think you were trying to get at, right, is like the program needs to have a much more, you know, unified positive message to it where from a basketball perspective, there's no reason why the program can't still continue to do the, the play angry from a basketball. You know, that's fine. They still want to embrace that and go with that. There was success on the basketball court. That culture may not need to change, but from a program perspective, you know, I I, I'm with you. I can, I can understand how it's like, Hey, we need to make sure we're, we're uh, embracing the more, you know, positive, correct, message here for especially with the place that you know just college athletics as a whole amateur athletics as a whole is at yeah you know i i definitely think that you know as time went on we talked about this a month ago when this first broke that in some ways i think that you know we as a as a community you know enabled that culture we bought into it we were buying shirts that said play angry we were applying that to our our own lives we were applying that to our fandom uh it was going outside of basketball and you know i I think you can still have hard-nosed gritty athletic tough basketball and still treat people with kindness uh and, and unfortunately Unfortunately, that's that's not where shocker basketball is right now. I hope it gets to that point. That's going to be priority number one uh, for a new coach when that happens. Uh, just and as a quick update, uh, Marshall was not at uh, Wichita State's practices on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, university spokesman at that time said Coach Marshall has taken a few days off for personal reasons. Uh, so you know, again, have no idea exactly what's going to end up happening, but I think we've got an idea on where this is leading. And of course, as we find out more. We'll make sure to pass that along yeah. uh, on our Twitter and all of that. Uh, getting fired is, is very personal, I'm sure. <laughs> Without a doubt. Let's get into our next topic here on Keeper of the Games. We're talking Kansas City Chiefs football, which I know is the one topic on this show that, Weston, you've got some knowledge on you bet. Uh, as we get into it. So uh, the Chiefs uh, had a pretty close nail-biting victory on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers at home. Uh, final score on that was 33-31, correct? Uh, that yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that, I think field, that's right. The field goal would have won it. That's right. Right. Yep. Thirty-three, thirty-one uh, was the final score for the Chiefs. They enter their bye week this weekend with a record of eight and one. So just over halfway through the season, uh, and the Chiefs are at a pretty positive mark. Although uh, it wasn't all good uh, Sunday against the Panthers. I'm assuming you had a chance to at least at least watch some of that game, if yep. not all of it. Yeah. Uh, what were what were your thoughts on the Chiefs' nail biting victory against the Panthers? Uh, you know, oddly, and this is not the direction when. In which our Wichita podcast should take this. But honestly, one of my biggest takeaways was the Panthers are a good football team, especially when they have, you know, Christian McCaffrey being back makes that a very good football team. Um, but, you know, fr- from the Chiefs perspective, you know, I think there, there was a conversation they were having on NFL now today with Kurt Warner about, you know, are we, are we under 
appreciating? Are we underselling the, the Chiefs right now? I mean, they're eight and one, but it doesn't feel like anybody's talking about them. You know, and he had a, he kind of had a good point. You know, it's it, it, we are at a level with the Chiefs where we expect so much that it's kind of like, okay, yeah, they did that, in, but we're not going to talk about it because it's the Chiefs. That's what they've been doing. Um, and he also made a point, and this is kind of what, what my, my takeaway from the, Carol- the Carolina game, you know, he said, the other thing is, you know, they've had three or four games where they haven't played their best football and they're still eight and one. So, where, you know, how much more room does this team have to grow? And, and I think that's kind of, um, you know, my biggest takeaway from the Carolina game is, you know, good, good football teams, find ways to win games when they're not at their best. And and that's what the chiefs have continuously done. Um, And they're, they're not at their best is still pretty dang good. So, you know, I think chiefs chiefs fans have every expectation and every right to be, you know, thinking super bowl or bust again this year. Yeah. I, you know, I think that you talk about how kind of the national media and uh, I think even locally to an extent, people are underselling the chiefs a little bit on top of that. I think people are underselling Patrick Mahomes yeah. a little bit too. Uh, he, this guy has had two incredible weeks in a row, uh, you know, and I, I don't see that letting up anytime soon. Obviously, you know, last week he played the jets, you know, and, and, what are you going to do? You're playing the Jets. You know, you're going to probably go off for a lot of passing yards and touchdowns. But then he was able to do the same thing uh, against the Panthers. And so it's, it's hard to undersell the the franchise player it's hard to undersell the face of the nfl uh but a lot of people are talking about russell wilson for good reason Mm -hmm. but a lot of people are talking about russell wilson as the the front runner for the mvp uh and you know not a lot of people are talking about patrick mahomes right now and um again i think you come to expect the magic uh from pat you know he had uh this play specifically in my mind where you know he had another sidearm flick uh that was a, a complete for a for a first down on sunday against the panthers and it was barely talked about you know a year ago two years ago that would have been oh my god another impressive throw by patrick mahomes now you just come to expect that he's going to do those things uh so i i, I like that position though for kansas city i like being under the radar a little bit in the afc you know at the very beginning of the season everybody was talking about the ravens everybody was talking about the patriots even you know with cam newton coming in uh the the bills had a a stint where everybody was talking about how great they were. Now it's the Steelers. You know, the Steelers are the, the last undefeated team. Uh, so not everybody is talking about the chiefs. They're not talking about that target on their back. Obviously they carry the fact that they were super bowl champions, but you don't have to worry about being the top in the conference. I love that position that Kansas city's in. Yeah. And you know, again, it's just, it, it really is an incredible position to be in being the, like, like you said, being the, the reigning super bowl champs, you just don't get that very often, right? Where you can be eight and one, the reigning super bowl champs. And for whatever reason, teams are still, and it's not that I'm sure it, from an actual competitive standpoint, teams aren't selling the Chiefs short. It's the media right. and the fans, right? That we're just, and it's not, and I don't even know that it's selling Kansas City short. We're just not talking about the Chiefs because we're just so used to what they're doing. You know, and it's interesting. This is kind of a sidebar from, from last week's game, but I don't know if you remember, and I can't remember if it was the Jets game or a couple before that, but it was the first pass that pat through underhand to sherman uh for that little touchdown i watched yeah. i watched a clip from the nfl films the other day um and pat did that unbeknownst to anthony sherman and to eric b and i'm assuming they read, read too <laughs> they, that was not designed for him to throw that under underhanded which blows my mind that 
Pat would have the wherewithal, you know, to even think to do that. And I just, when I watched it, I just assumed that was just something they were messing around with in practice. Right. And, and they did it. Well, apparently they had ran that play before and uh, Pat threw it overhand, but by the, when he went to throw and raise his arm, the defensive lineman was just tracking down the line like he would do to go sack Pat, um, which made him run into Sherman and it kind of blew up that play on accident. So with the next time they ran it, he just decided to shovel it under, underneath. So there was never that moment for the defensive lineman to, you know, really track down the line to try to, to, to raise their hands or do anything like that. I mean, just incredible things like that we're continuously seeing out of him. And it, it, it's almost to a point and, and, and same with the stats too. They're just not impressing us anymore because it's week in and week out that we're seeing this with, with Patrick Mahomes. And it really is incredible. I mean, to your point on the MVP race, I mean, he's got 25 touchdowns to one interception this year. I mean, that's just absolutely outstanding. It, it, and it's not being talked about more just because, well, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. Of course, he's got 25 touchdowns and one interception. Uh, yeah. it, it's a great place to be in. Um, and kind of shifting back to, okay, what wh- what does this look like moving forward? You know, wh- do we have concerns? What do the Chiefs need to work on? Because obviously, like we said, we're not, they're not playing some of their best football. Um, I think two things that really come to mind for me. One, uh, definitely being the depth on the defensive line. They've had some injuries. Taco Charlton, uh, you know, his knee, he's out for the season. Uh, was it his knee or his shoulder? No, I'm. I, it's actually. I think it was his ankle. I think he suffered an ankle injury. Oh, that's right. He fractured his ankle, right? Yeah, or cra- yep. something like that. But anyways, yeah. So yep. he, he's out for the season. They were already having some struggles there. So curious to see what they do um, to kind of. And move- you know that that's to, that's a bummer too because I feel like Taco Charlton gave some pretty good minutes. Yeah. Uh, for Kansas City defensively. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he he really kept and, and talk about that's just another Brett Veach signing that was someone else's you know throwaway player that he said no I see that talent I can we can make that work here and sure enough that they were they were on their way to doing that. Um, so kind of getting that figured out, I think, is going to be important. I do think defensive line, I said that probably in the beginning of the season, I think that's where they had the most depth. Um, but it may take um, a few guys maybe being willing to play outside of their normal position, um, at least for certain, you know, in certain situations and downs, kind of where you can move a guy that maybe doesn't pass rush as well. First, second down, maybe you can kind of utilize him in that defensive end role, do a couple things like that. Um, but I think, and then the second thing that I kind of, am focused on, I guess, moving forward, you know, as we've seen, it's not so much struggles out of the offense, just moments where you just don't feel like it, it quite has the normal, I don't know, power in, in, I don't know, smoothness, I guess that, that, that you've seen out of the chiefs offense. But I think in part that is because Andy of Andy Reed, I think he purposefully, you know, holds back his playbooks. You've seen some kind of just mess around plays. It almost feels like they're just toying with people that they've thrown into the playbook. And I think they've only unleashed a little bit knowing that, Hey, they only need to use a little bit of their playbook to kind of get through this regular season. And as the season goes, I think they're going to start installing more advanced motion, more advanced, you know, route trees and those sort of things um, in that playbook that will really help open up this offense to even a whole nother level. Yeah, I you know I think that there are some concerns. I agree with you. You know, as we get into the last half of the season, uh, you know, you talk about the depth on the defensive line. I think depth in, uh, just on the defensive side of the ball in general, and you saw that on Sunday against the Panthers. The Panthers, as you said, you know that they're a, a good football team. They really are, and they've got a lot of offensive weapons. Not unlike Kansas City, it might not be at the same level as the Chiefs, but they've got a lot of weapons. You've got Christian McCaffrey when he's healthy, Mike Davis. 
Davis is there. You've got a, a big wide receiving core with Robbie Anderson and, you know, DJ Moore. And, you know, they, they've got uh, some really good offensive weapons there in Carolina. And that is in direct conflict with what could be a lack of depth defensively for Kansas City. They're going to need to develop some more depth on that side of the ball, especially if they end up you know, faced up against the Steelers in the playoffs at some point because the Steelers are another team that they've got a ton of depth, especially at wide receiver with Washington and uh, Juju uh, Smith-Schuster and uh, Chase Claypool and then James Conner running the ball. They've got offensive weapons as well, uh, so they, they need to work on that. And then also, I hate bringing this up as a concern, but I, and I wonder if you would agree with me. I, I wonder if we're almost at the point where Harrison Butker might be a concern for Kansas City. He's really not a concern kicking field goals, but he kind of is a concern kicking extra points. He missed another one on Sunday against the Panthers, and he is ranked next to last in the NFL in extra points made on the season. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. He's usually a pretty steady and solid kicker, and maybe it's something he can work through through the bye week. But I think it, at the very least, it is something to keep our eyes on. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern. I mean, I'm certainly as good of a field goal kicker as he is. You know, it's just he's just got to have the yips on on the extra points right now. So you hope that's something he can figure out. It's not a he's not a good enough kicker thing. But sometimes those yips, I mean, that's, you know, that's really just kind of that is the downfall to to kickers. So that might just be something. Uh, that could be problematic. And I, I, you know, I definitely think that's something you need to look at. Um, the other thing, and this isn't so much a problem, but, but as we're, you know, nearing the halfway point, uh, talking about something I have been just incredibly happy with. I think in the beginning of the season, we talked about the offensive line being a concern. They've played fantastic. And with injuries yeah. too. I mean, Kelechi Osimile has been out. Mitch Schwartz missed two games, but Mike Rimmers has stepped in fantastically. Nick Al- Algaretti has been just, outstanding uh daniel or uh, uh yeah daniel kilgore is mo- moving into center boy these guys have played really really good football and i mean and that's with with you know not our starting five running out there I, i've been very happy with the way the offensive line has played so, of course, the Chiefs have their bye week coming up this weekend, and then uh, they return from their bye. Their first game back, I believe, is against the Raiders, uh, but then they've got you know tough games uh, against the Buccaneers uh, and the Saints after the bye as well, among others also. Uh, and the one thing before we move on uh, about the Steelers, obviously right now, if, if the season were in, you know to end today, the Steelers would have the top seed in the AFC. I'm not that concerned about them. I mean, I know, like I just said, they've got a lot of offensive weapons, but I don't know if you watch their game against the Cowboys. They barely beat the Dallas Cowboys and Garrett Gilbert, and the Cowboys are not a good football team at all this season. So it's it's going to make me wonder, what, what what's the real Pittsburgh Steelers team? Are they the team that absolutely blew out the Ravens or are they, are they the team that could barely hang with the Cowboys? Uh, So I think that they're vulnerable. I know it's hard to say that when you're undefeated, but I, they really, I think, uh, I think the chiefs have a good chance against them if they end up matching up against each other. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, I'm just not really concerned about the Steelers. I kind of go back to, I know we already beat the Bills, but still thinking they're one of the, the, the better teams in the AFC. And really, if you look at it, I mean, the Steelers, they don't really have, like you said, they blew out the Ravens, but the Ravens, or they didn't blow out the Ravens. They beat the Ravens 28-24. Um, but, uh, you know, they have, they've had some struggles. They struggled against the Cowboys. They, I mean, other than that, they don't really have like a, a real signature win. Maybe their win against the Titans, but even that, they, they w- came out to a big lead and then blew the lead and the Titans kind of came back. And, and really the Titans kind of 
blew their opportunity to win that game. So the Steelers just haven't, they just haven't had one yet to just really show me, Hey, you know, these guys are for real, you know, let's take them serious. But, um, but they are, I mean, they're definitely one of the top, you know, three or four in the AFC, but I definitely think it's the chiefs and everybody else in the AFC right now. Well, Kansas City will at least get uh, this weekend off and get a chance to rest up and, uh, you know, maybe try to get a little bit healthier before uh, their game in just about a week and a half from now. Let's get into college football and talk about the Wildcats. They played on Saturday against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And man, it sure looked like the Wildcats were going to have an opportunity to win that game and knock off the number 14 Cowboys. Uh, It it just ultimately didn't happen for K-State in the final minutes. Jason Taylor, who is a sophomore safety for the Cowboys, returned to fumble 85 yards for a touchdown to make it 20 unanswered points for the Pokes. And that's how the game ended. 20 to 18, Oklahoma State beats Kansas State. The One of the positives, though, for the Wildcats, they held Oklahoma State scoreless in the entire first half. It was the first time that the Cowboys failed to score in the opening half since November 15th, 2014. And the Kansas State Wildcats were able to do so. Unfortunately, they weren't able to hang on in the final minutes. That does shake things up a little bit in the Big 12 race. And I think it really separates Oklahoma State from the rest of the pack. Uh, and that does include Kansas State. But uh, man, the fact that they were able to hang so close and look like until a few minutes remaining that they could get a victory, I think does say something for Kansas State. Yeah, you know, a- absolutely. I, you know, I think they're, they, they definitely have, you know, a ton of talent over there, um, you know, and they and I think the thing that's that's positive for K-State and you don't want to hear it right now as a, as a Wildcat fan because you're always focused in the here and now. They've got a lot of young talent, a lot of talent they can build on that's just just not quite there to get get over the hump to, to you know, beat that Oklahoma State and and really what Wildcat fans have been you know, waiting for is that opportunity to go play in the college football playoff to win a big 12 and and go play in that college football playoff. And, and I think what this shows to your point is it's not this season, but boy, they're, they're there, they're close, you know, in, in, in some growth with some of the young guys, adding a few other guys coming into a program and, and, uh, coach Kleiman's, you know, got these guys in, in a good position, really moving forward. Well, and let's not forget that this Kansas State Wildcats team right now is, a, you know, they're a game back uh, in the Big 12 standings and they're doing it all without Skylar Thompson, yeah. who's injured. You right. know, they're doing it with the freshman quarterback, Will Howard. They're doing it with a freshman running back, Deuce Vaughn. Uh, the future is bright in Manhattan. We've been saying that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chris Kleiman has his guys. The older they get, the more mature that they get, the more that they get game time under their belts. I think you're looking at, like I said, an incredibly bright and optimistic future uh, for the Wildcats. And, you know, and then let's not forget, you know, the thing that Wildcat football has been built on the bedrock, the foundation forever is the defense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, they did give up 20 unanswered points uh, at the end of the game, you know, in the second half, but they did hold the Cowboys scoreless in the first half i you know wouldn't be i watched most of the game wouldn't be surprised if if that was due to the fact that you know maybe the defense they're young and they got tired i don't know uh but at the end of the day the fact that you were able to hold a top 15 nationally ranked team scoreless in the first half uh i think that speaks volumes to where this program is going yeah it, you know and i, I mean that's i 100 agree with all that too and, and i want to go back and, and you talk about will howard and deuce vaughn these two are going to shatter some records in the Big 12 together. I mean, that tandem is going to be it's going to 
you know, they're going to have a lock on the Big 12, I think, for the next three years. And uh, but, you know, like I and I had kind of talked about this, uh, you, you would ask me a few podcasts back, you know, hey, is this K-State team for real? Can they compete for a Big 12? Can they win the Big 12? You know, and my I think at that time I kind of said, look, you know, I, I they've got talent, but I just don't think with a freshman quarterback, you're going to be there yet. He's talented. I like him, but he's a freshman. Um, and, and I think that's just kind of where we're at. Right. I mean, they just the talent's there. They just needed to get over the hump. And I and I do think a Skylar Thompson may have done that for him. So just, you know, a real bad break for K-State to be in the position that they are. But, boy, this future looks bright, and you have to be excited to be a, a you know, Wildcat fan right now. Um, you know, and I guess I, I did I, – I failed to mention earlier that, you know, they really are still in the hunt for the Big 12. I mean, you'd think, you know, Iowa State, Oklahoma State only has one loss. That The winner of the Big 12 probably – ends up with only one loss, I would certainly suspect. Um, but that's not to say a two-loss team couldn't win the Big 12. Um, but I definitely think a two-loss Big 12 winner is is not going to go to the college football playoff. I would, I think this year I'd be even hard-pressed to see that a one-loss Big 12 team makes the college football playoff. Well, you know, the Wildcats have a bye this weekend, and then they return to action the weekend before Thanksgiving against Iowa State, uh, who currently leads the the Big 12, or at least tied uh, for the lead in the Big 12. So the, the Wildcats are not out of it. By, by any means right now. They're a game back of Iowa State. Uh, and so, you know, you never know what could happen. I agree with you. Um, you know, the, the Wildcats, they still do have an opportunity. And if they play like they did against Oklahoma State, I think they've got a good shot uh, against the Cyclones. Um, you know, but it's definitely a must win for the Wildcats uh, if they want to, to have a shot to win the Big 12. At the end of the day, though, I think you have to look, if you're a Wildcat fan, you have to look at, at the way the season has progressed and be incredibly happy with Chris Kleiman's second year uh, in Manhattan. On the flip side, going the complete opposite direction, you've got the Kansas Jayhawks. They traveled to Norman, Oklahoma to take on the Sooners last weekend, uh, and they lost by a score of 62-9. to They did not score a touchdown until the final play of the game uh, as time was expiring, obviously against the Sooners' third string or fourth string defense at that point. Uh, This game was going on at the same time as the Kansas state game. Uh, I'm a KU supporter, but I've got to be honest. I didn't watch much of that blowout. I was more in, you know, in tune with what was going on with the Wildcats. It's hard to find a positive in Lawrence. I'm asking you, can you find one? Is there anything that you can hang your hat on right now for the for the Jayhawks? So I've, <laughs> I've got a couple thoughts and I'll, I guess I'll start with answering your question. So no, nothing out of that Oklahoma game. But if you back up to that Iowa State game, the final score of that Iowa State game was 52 to 22. But if you watch that game, they were competitive until the fourth quarter and then that fourth quarter really got away from them. But those are the kind of things that you've wanted to see out of this Les Miles coached football team is, is get us, look, we understand you may not be winning games right now, but get us get us as a fan to that fourth quarter where we're still interested because your team is out there competing. You know, give us that hope that just that small hope that that hey, in the fourth quarter maybe something can happen and maybe it gets away. We understand as a fan base that's where we're at, but just give us that hope. Um, and we saw that for a glimpse in Iowa State, so I think it's even more disappointing to follow that. Um, you know, by the performance in Norman. You know, and then secondly, I, I'm very curious um, what Les Miles thoughts were or if he had ever been asked as he was in the press conference after the Oklahoma game if he was considering 
uh, benching his quarterbacks because his offensive lineman was so bad that they couldn't keep his his freshman quarterback safe. I mean, that was a real question that was asked. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing, and, and I'm so, I have to tell you. On a side note, I am so glad that we're talking about this, not because I enjoy, you know, reveling in, in the misery, but because when you were gone, Blake just flat out did not want to talk Kansas football. He's like, <laughs> hey, they, they suck. There's nothing to dissect. They're terrible, you know, next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always blew the hot take horn on him, but there are some things to talk about. And one of them, I absolutely agree with that assessment. Because if Jalen Daniels truly is the future of the program, and by all accounts, according to Les Miles, he is, there is no reason to play him for the rest of the year. Completely shut him down because you're going to get him hurt. You've already gotten him hurt. Mm -hmm. He had an ankle injury at the end of the Oklahoma game, and Miles Kendrick came in and finished the game. uh, And it looks like Daniels hopefully will be okay to play after the Jayhawks bye week this weekend. Uh, But you're really risking the future of the program. If he truly is the future of the program by continuing to throw him out there when you have an offensive line that is going to get him killed. Well, and and frankly, you're not, you're not growing him as a quarterback. If he's not even able to run your offense because he's taking the ball, getting out of the pocket or having to step up or having to step to the side or constantly improvise within your offense that's not helping him grow as a quarterback and helping him lead this team you know in 2021 in 2022 in 2023 um so the the aside from the injury aspect you're also just not gaining anything you're not helping him grow by throwing him to the wolves like like what's being like like what's happening right now um you know and i i know that I think you and I, I'm, you're not where Blake's at and I'm not where you're at on the state of Kansas football. Um, I am still of one, you know, that we got to keep seeing the recruits coming in and I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you get better athletes up front, right? (laughs) You get, well, this isn't a hot take. You got to have, you got to (laughs) have division one offensive linemen blocking for your division one quarterback, right? And they don't have, they don't have that right now. Um, so, but anyways, I'm just still, you know, and this, it is, and, and, I, and I guess I'm to a point where I can be honest that it, it's, it maybe it's more hope than opinion that the, that the, the program is still headed in the right direction with less miles. Um, so I think I'm at least to that point now where I can, I can step back and say, okay, maybe my, my opinion isn't that they're going in the right direction, but my hope is still with the fact that, that this program is trending in the right direction as far as a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you look at the overall state of the program objectively, like if you look, if you, if you look past the final score, I know it was 62 to nine against Oklahoma. I know they've been blown out in, in every game they played this season. They're not that terrible defensively. They're they really aren't, but the difference between the defense and what they call an offense they're throwing out there is night and day. I mean, you're looking at an offense that in my opinion is not, is not a D one offense. It's just, mm. it's, it's not, it's just not. Uh, and, and so until you can get the dogs in there, uh, you know, that can start to build that offensively it's from the ground up. I think, you know, and I think overall, we all knew KU fans all knew that this was going to be a long and painful rebuild, right? We all knew that, you know, Jeff Long was to his credit was very blunt at the beginning saying this is a five-year plan. 
I just don't think Kansas fans were expecting how bad this year was going to be compared to last year. I think a lot of people thought, well, yeah, there'll be some incremental growth. You know, last year they won three games this year. Maybe they'll win four. Like, I don't think anybody in their, in their right mind thought, yeah, they're going to go from three and nine to zero and 12 and they're going to lose every game. They're going to get blown out and they're not going to be able to put a team together. Uh, And so I think that's shocking. But at the end of the day, if you're a KU fan, you, you really don't have any other choice, but to keep the faith because then if you don't, the process starts all over again and it, you're starting from, from, square one again. Yeah. And I'm certain, I'm certainly not going to make, you know, excuses for where this program's at, but you certainly didn't expect a pandemic to happen where you only end up with the one non-con game. I think we all thought, Hey, the, going yeah. over in the big 12 is very possible, but you expected to have, you know, some, some <laughs> gimme non non-cons to kind of help with that growth. Right. And hell coastal Carolina, who they lost 38, 23, they're ranked 15th in the nation right now. Did you know that? True. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. that ended up being what was another non-con that we thought was going to be a, you know, a nice game. Ends up they're 15th in the nation and they played them tough. Right. I don't think, I, frankly, I don't think Coastal Carolina is truly the 15th best team in the country, but that's where they're at right now. Um, but they yeah. played them, they played them tough. So anyways, I, you know, I, I, I do think, I think the program's kind of headed in the right way. And I, and I want to, the other thing you want to point out too is, Things can look so much worse on the offense when the offensive line is so bad. So you're, I think as fans, we're missing some of the talent that we have in some of the wide receivers, some of the talent that we have in some of the young running backs. Frankly, we're not even able to see what, what Jalen Daniels truly is because when that up front is so bad, you can't run in offense. So we can't even see do they have they grown at the wide receiver position? Have they grown you know, from a quarterback running back perspective? Have they gained some talent? we don't even have that opportunity because where they didn't grow was the offensive line. So the Jayhawks are on a bye this weekend. So that means the chiefs, the wildcats and the Jayhawks all are not playing football this weekend. Uh, So yeah, the Jayhawks are off. They play uh, about a week and a half from now against Texas. And Hey, let's not forget the Jayhawks did beat the Longhorns not that long ago. So Okay, crazier things have happened for sure. Let's get into some college basketball. The Jayhawks, they kick off their season against the number one team in America, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, on Thanksgiving at 1230 in the afternoon. That's a huge way to kick off the season for KU. And that's not the only high caliber game that Kansas has to start the season. They're also playing Kentucky and the Champions Classic at the, in the beginning of December. Uh, and then they have games against Creighton as well uh, in the non-con. So uh, just a, a lot of, of big marquee games for the Jayhawks to kick off their season. Uh, they're, they're doing it big. I guess the whole thought is, hey, in the world of COVID, we might as well get in our big games while we can. Yeah, I mean, and that's been, you know that's been Bill Self's MO though since he's been at Kansas, or at least over the last I don't know five six years. He's he wants to bring in that tough schedule and get those guys ready to go, and I like it. I do kind of I can't decide. I'm very mixed on my feelings about having a Thanksgiving game. You know, I mean, it kind yeah. of feels weird. Like I just want to sit around and watch football all day, and now you're going to throw a twelve thirty tip off that I'm I'm going to tune in for. Of course, I'm going to, but just watching college basketball on Thanksgiving, there's just something that doesn't sit right with me. But also excited that the Jayhawks will be playing a you know a big time basketball game on Thanksgiving Day in primetime. 
Well, keep in mind, though, that, you know, usually this time of year, uh, you know, you've got some of the holiday tournaments that start to get going, right? I mean, like, I know a lot of them are over, you know, Christmas and whatever, but, you know, you do have, I mean, the Champions Classic typically kicks off the season around Thanksgiving. Now, not on Thanksgiving at 1230 in the afternoon, Mm. but, you know, it's not it's not uncommon to have some college hoops on Thanksgiving weekend, but yeah, you're right. Like I'm usually so used to having typically it's, I think CBS usually has the early game and the lions are usually playing in it. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, here in Jim Nance and talking about, you know, football on Thanksgiving and then here all of a sudden the Jayhawks game is on, you know? So yeah, I think it, you're, you're going to have to change, you know, some of the, uh, the rituals and traditions this Thanksgiving. But at this point, I think we've all changed so many of the things that we're normally used to doing. Uh, I guess football, basketball on Thanksgiving is just something that we all have to kind of deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I'll, I'll absolutely be all tuned in. I'll be, I'll be wearing. Hey, you know, and the other, th- I think the other thing too is the Chiefs traditionally don't ever play on Thanksgiving, right? So it's not right. like I've got that day's not reserved for one of my other fanships. Uh, so that's okay. I certainly can wear blue on Thanksgiving. I have no problem with that. Oh, and here's what I'm excited about is that in, you know, just over two weeks from now, we'll have college basketball that you and I can actually sit down on this podcast and actually talk about and and digest the games and how they worked. We haven't done that since the beginning of March when our podcast was like a month old yeah. uh, because then all of a sudden COVID hit. We had no March Madness. So it's been a while since we've actually talked about college basketball. Uh, so looking forward to that as well. So just as a reminder, uh, Kansas plays the number one team in America, Gonzaga, on Thanksgiving Day at 12:30 in the afternoon so uh, you can enjoy your turkey and mashed potatoes while watching some college basketball. Let's go ahead and get into our Wichita whip around here on this episode of Keeper of the Games. Now Weston, one of the things that you missed over the last couple of weeks that Blake and I talked about in fact, it was our top story a couple of weeks ago was playoff football at the high school ranks around the state of Kansas in the Wichita Metro. When we talked about it as our top story, the brackets had just been released and we're now almost to the point of uh, of sectionals uh, here in uh, across the state of Kansas. Last week was regionals. Uh, and so now we're down to a handful of teams in all the different classes. We'll start with 6A. And, you know, when we look back at last weekend, some of the big results, in fact, the one that really stands out to me the most is Derby taking down Gardner Egerton by a score of 48 to 28. This is a Derby team, yeah. Weston, that started off the season with a COVID outbreak. They started off the season losing to Blue Valley. They really had the deck stacked against them as they started the season. They didn't have, they didn't play a home game until their final regular season game of the season. Yet Brandon Clark did what Derby does and got them into the playoffs. And now they're in the sectional round. Yeah, and and uh, you know, uh, we all I think we all kind of knew that Derby Derby was a good football team, even though they lost some of those games early early in the season. But you know, in Gardner Edgerton, that's you know that's a program that's a home of uh, Bubba Starling. So you know they they produce some serious athletes. So that's a real good win. I mean, any win in the playoffs is you know it's great, but that's a good win for for Derby. Another team to keep our eyes on as we get into the sectionals, Wichita East. They took down Manhattan in the regionals 20 to 7. Blake and I talked about Wichita East at length a couple of weeks ago on the program about how they're kind of a sleeper city league team. You always talk about how great Northwest is. You always think about how great Bishop Carroll is. And, you know, even now Cape and Mount Carmel this season, you don't always think about Wichita East, but yet here they are and they moved into the sectional round as they took down Manhattan in the 
regionals by a score of 20 to 7. On top of that, a couple of other local teams, Northwest, they completely blew out Heights by a score of 69 to 0. So Northwest, they're moving into the sectionals, no problem there. Capen got a huge win against Goddard by a score of 38 to 15. So the very first year of the Western Sharks era at Cape and Mark Carmel continues to be a success uh, as Capen moves into the sectional round. Bishop Carroll goes on the road and they take down Hutchinson by a score of 42 to 28. This was a big rivalry. It used to be huge between those two teams. I don't think they've played in the last couple of years, uh, but that rivalry was renewed and Bishop Carroll got the win uh, to move on. And then another big game that Blake and I talked about uh, when the brackets were first released about that our eyes were on uh, because of the potential that it could be a uh, an intertown rivalry as Mays took down Mays South in the regional round by a score of 59 to 27. Uh, before I move on to 4A, any of those games stand out to you or anything you want to mention about any of them? You know, I mean, I, I always just think about, so back when I was, you know, in, in high school and the way Hutchinson was just rolling, just rolling folks, you know, in their heyday. So, I, I mean, I get that, that they may not be quite what they were, you know, 10 years ago, but still great, great for Bishop Carroll to go in and take care of business there. And, and not that Bishop Carroll doesn't have just as much of a, you know, historic football program that, that Hutch does just Hutch dominated teams, you know, in that, from that 06 to 2010 era, like, like maybe nobody else in the state of Kansas has before. So in the 4A round, some of the area schools that uh, they're moving on to the sectional round include McPherson. They beat Augusta 52 to 20. Bueller beat Rose Hill 42 to 8. Andover Central is going home as Arkansas City beat them by a, a close final score of 33 to 28. And El Dorado was kind of a Cinderella story in 4A as well. It had been a long time since uh, El Dorado had uh, a lot of success and they made it to the regional round, uh, although they were defeated by Wamigo uh just by a field goal 21-18 was the final score there and then in 3A really the the only game of importance that I want to mention I guess is the battle of our Indians the <laughs> Andale Indians and the Clearwater Indians uh Andale got the win 53 to 0 Blake and I mentioned it when the brackets were released I pointed out how there could very well be uh, Andale-Clearwater matchup in the regional round. That came to fruition. But uh, your Andale Indians got the better of my Clearwater Indians in the regional round. Man, Andale, they just continue, continue to roll. I mean, I think all, all eyes are on them to win 3A. Do you, do you, are you, do you see in front of you who, the, who they'll be matching up against in the next round? Yeah, I do. I do have that. Uh, I do have that schedule in front of me. So, uh, in three A, it looks like Andale will be playing Riley County. That's who they're matched up uh, with yeah, in the know. sectional round. Uh, so yeah, and then the other big win in three A for a local team, Wichita Collegiate. Yeah, they beat Cheney last week, and so they're playing Southeast of Saline in the sectional round. Yeah, it's it, it's it's so weird to me for for Andale being in the th in three A because uh, they were four A when I when I was back in high school. So we used to play the Andover Central, Andover Rhodes Hill, and this is kind of a whole group of different teams that I'm just not as familiar with, uh, at least from from my playing days. Obviously, we played Clearwater uh, back then, but uh, it, it's just a different uh, different bracket now. 
Yeah, so let's go to our 6A schedule in the sectional round. So those were the results from last week in the regionals. Uh, and now we'll talk about the matchups that are on the table for this weekend. Uh, the big one, Derby, they obviously continue in the sectional round. They're on the road taking on Lawrence. Lawrence is an interesting case because I don't know if you saw this, Weston, but they beat Dodge City by forfeit, it I was did. the final score, one to zero. I saw that. Dodge City had a Dodge City had a COVID outbreak and had to forfeit the game. Uh, so Derby will play at Lawrence. So kind of an unknown quantity there. Uh, and then the other local team in six A, Wichita East, is on the road at Junction City. Uh, so those are the Wichita area teams in six A. Obviously, you know, I, you and I don't know a ton about Lawrence, don't know a ton about Junction City, but would love to see both Derby and Wichita East advance. That'd be a wild state championship to see uh, Wichita East against Derby. I don't think anybody anybody would have been expecting that. But I do, I do know Lawrence has a pretty good football program, so I, I do think that's a, that's a tall task for Derby. And I honestly can't say I know anything about Junction City. Yep. And then in 5A, uh, all of the local teams get to stay local. Capen is on the road taking on Wichita Northwest. That's going to be a huge game. Obviously, you'd have to think Northwest is probably the favorite in the city league. However, Capen, like I just mentioned, they've had a phenomenal season under Western Sharks and a huge rebound uh, from, from the year prior. So, I, I know a lot of people are going to favor Northwest, but don't count out Capen. I think it's going to be a, a, a really good game. I'm sure at the in the end, I'm guessing Northwest will prevail, but it should be great football. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I've I've said it too many times in this podcast. I'm I'm real co- close with Coach Marinelli over there at Northwest, so I'll, I'll be certainly pulling for for his boys. But huge, huge uh, game in the city league, and uh, you know that's uh, Weston Shirts against his former team in Northwest where he used to coach. So that's an interesting uh, full circle there. Yep. And then, of course, Bishop Carroll, they are on the road taking on Mays uh, in 5A. In 4A, uh, really the only lo- like kind of local team, I guess, is Bueller. Uh, and they're on the road taking on McPherson. I guess if you also wanted to say Arkansas City is local uh, to the Metro, they're on the road taking on Wamigo. Uh, and then we already mentioned what's happening in 3A with Andale and Collegiate uh, in that 3A. And if both Andale and Collegiate can get the win, then they'll face off against each other uh, in a week from, uh, from this Friday. So a lot going on uh, in high school football and uh, we're not anywhere close to being done. We've got sectionals and then obviously moving on from there. So uh, we'll make sure to keep you updated uh, on the next episode of Keeper of the Games when we have results from those sectional games. All right, let's get into our finally funny here to wrap up the program uh, here on Keeper of the Games. As you know, Weston, and as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, Masters Week is upon us. I am a huge Masters fan. Uh, it is my by far my favorite golf tournament to watch of the entire year. I'd rather watch it than any other major during the, the course of the entire year. It's incredible. Even though it's in November, it's going to be awesome. Even though there are no fans in the stands, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but by the time this podcast drops, the Masters will kick off. And did you get a chance to see the video of John Rom on Tuesday and what he was able to do from the 16th tee box? Yeah, skipping, skipping that hole in one that's i mean absolutely incredible that it would would you venture to say that's the most incredible hole in one in the history of golf oh without a doubt i don't know how you can i don't even know how you can top that i mean the the fact that he wasn't even i mean you're obviously trying to get it over the water that's why you're skipping it that way but you're just messing around you're not trying to make a hole in one you're just trying to get the ball to cross the water and he was able to hit it in the hole is just that's just insane to me 
I mean, the, the if the if the math nerds out there were to put a number on that, surely the the likelihood of what just happened, the statistical probability would have to be greater than like winning the lottery or winning the lottery and getting struck by lightning. Like, just has to be absolutely astronomical. It's it was incredible. And it was his birthday. So I guess that oh, leads wow. me to believe it leads me to believe that you and John Rom share a birthday together. So Oh, okay. Uh yeah, because it happened on Tuesday. Yeah. It wasn't Tuesday your birthday. That's right. Yeah. Tuesday was my birthday. Yeah. So he was able to do that on Tuesday. Yeah. Is he 31 as well? Surely he's younger, right? Uh, I think he's probably younger than you are. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know that what those younger guys are telling me. The PGA pros in their prime are like, what, 27? I think we're yeah, I'm gonna, I, I Yeah, I fact, I fact checked that and uh, he turned 26. Uh, so oh. yeah, he's quite a bit younger. Quite a bit younger than you are, unfortunately. Uh, but that's our finally <laughs> funny, obviously, the the, the crazy hole-in-one. Uh, but since we're on the topic of Masters, before we wrap up, uh, do you have any predictions? Who are your – like, who's your pick, do you think, uh, to win the Masters when, uh, when Sunday rolls around and get that green jacket? Yeah, so I've said many a times in this podcast that I'm you know, just not a huge golf guy. But I have recently of uh, got into gambling on golf, at least in the DFS world, you know, the Daily Fantasy Sports on DraftKings. Um, so I do, yeah. have, I do have a lineup in for this week and my lineup consists of dustin johnson webb simpson tony okay. now scotty scheffler matt kuchar and zach johnson um and if you made me pick one obviously you pick players that you'd you know you'd hope that they'd all guys you'd hope they would have a shot to maybe win it but if i had to pick one I, my prediction is going to be and here you go tyler Litton. you can uh i know you were asking for my predict prediction on twitter so here you go webb simpson masters 2020 all right. I mean, he's a former major winner. He That's won right. the U.S. Open uh, a few years ago. I also have gotten into the daily fantasy sports world. Uh, I have a lineup in as well for this weekend, and I'm you're putting me on the spot to see if I can remember all <laughs> yeah. of my guys. Sure. Uh, but I know I've got Patrick Cantlay. Uh, I've got Xander Shoffley, uh, who just about won the Masters last year. So he's in there. Uh, Francisco Molinari, who also just about won the Masters last year. Mm-hmm. He's in my lineup. I also do have Zach Johnson. Uh, and then uh, I have uh, – oh, I picked Jordan Spieth. I mean, how can you not have a guy that has two green jackets? I know he's not playing great golf right now, uh, but I do have him because he knows Augusta. He's in yeah. my lineup. And then my, my sixth one is Tony Finau. And if you put me on the spot, your pick is Webb Simpson. If you put me on the spot, my pick to win the Masters is Tony Finau. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the golf that he plays. He's playing fantastic golf right now. Uh, and he has, I believe the stat I saw is that he's finished like not worse than 10th place in all the masters that he's played in. Uh, he hasn't won a major yet. He's itching to break through. And I think this weekend is going to be it. So uh, I will say it's the, it's the one weekend where uh, I probably eat more pimento cheese sandwiches <laughs> on the weekend of the masters than I do the rest of the year. Uh, and you know, the weather is supposed to be pretty good this weekend. Uh, and, but I'm not playing golf. I would rather be at home watching the masters. So uh, that's, that's my plan for this weekend. It should be a lot of fun. Now, have you heard last I had heard that the, the temperature was going to be nice for, for, for Augusta, but there was supposed to be some rain and the schedule. Has that cleared up? Or are we still kind of expecting some rainy conditions? 
Yeah, I think that they're expecting rain uh, pretty much every day. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a washout every day. And I'm really interested to see, you know, what the course is going to be like in November. I'm sure it's going to be spectacular, but how does it play? Is it different? And then obviously, you know, there are no, no fans, or I guess, as you call them at the masters patrons uh, will not be in attendance this, uh, this year. So um, I guess here's my final question for you to put you on the spot. The defending masters champion from 2019 tiger woods, I'm not going to ask you if he wins. Misses the does cut. He, does he make the cut? Misses the cut. That's my prediction. I knew you were going to ask that. I'm, I'm predicting all of the Tiger fanboys out there are going to be very disappointed. Tiger misses the cut. Boom. I mean, Perfect. I can't, I can't, I can't not give you a hot take horn uh, on that one. That was, that's pretty bold right there. Perfect way to end the episode with the hot take horn. Yep. Love it. Uh, and just for the record, I think he does make the cut. Uh, I, I, I don't think he wins, but I think he does make the cut for sure. You can't you can't pick against Tiger Woods at the Masters. You just can't do it. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for Keeper of the Games. And and again, Weston, welcome back. Glad you're back here on the podcast. Absolutely, it was it was great to be back. And uh, you know, I guess uh, it's it's uh, Dad Weston now instead of just I don't know regular podcaster Weston. I don't know. Yeah. Papa Weston. I don't know. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I'm also another fun fact about me is uh, I am ordained and I've officiated a wedding before. So a lot of my uh, inner group of friends, they've been calling me Father Mills for some time as a joke. I'm I'm ordained through the Universal Life Church. So just for All any right. of our listeners, just to be clear, it was just for purposes of of uh, officiating a wedding. But I'm actually officiating a wedding uh, next or uh, this Saturday as well. So nice. Father, well, I guess it's uh, Father Mills. Yeah, I guess if any of our listeners need uh, need a minister for their <laughs> wedding, uh, you offer those services as well. So that's pretty cool. That's, that's right. Hey, want to want to remind everybody to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and many others. Go to our website, cogsports.com, to watch videos, uh, listen to archived episodes, and more. Uh, of course, you can listen on uh, or you can watch episodes, I, I take it, on uh, YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's at K-O-G-POD. Weston, what is your Twitter handle? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. We'll be back next week for another episode of Keeper of the Games. Until next time, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Caster. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's K-O-G-POD.